Well, good morning, church. That was encouraging, wasn't it? Turn with me, if you would, to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. Really glad that you're with us this morning for the worship of the Lord Jesus. If you're a guest with us, just really glad that you're here. Everything about what we believe centers right here. Spurgeon used to say, for every look at yourself, take ten looks at the cross. And we're at the cross. And so uh, we were going to take a look at it today, but I hope that uh, this is just a start of 10 looks at it a day, you know. I hope this is a primer on the cross for you to take and look here and behold it and meditate on this cross day in and day out for the rest of your life. And so um, we're concluding our study through the Gospel of Luke, which we've been in for quite some time. And if you would, stand for me for the reading of the word. Luke chapter 23, beginning in verse 26. And as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry to others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him and when they came to the place that is called the skull there they crucified him and the criminals one on his right and one on his left and Jesus said father forgive them for they know not what they do and they cast lots to divide his garments And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home, beating their breasts, And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these 
things. Maybe seated. Let's pray. Oh, Father, give strength to our hearts to behold the work of Jesus, your Son, our dear Lord and his sacrifice. May it move our hearts and affections. May they be tender. May they be sweet towards you in love and thanksgiving for apart from this cross, we have nothing. And with it, we have everything forever. Father, we pray that you would open hearts and eyes to see Jesus on the cross and who he is and what he means for each person here. For someone who doesn't know you, maybe someone who says they don't even believe you exist, may Christ on the cross show them who you are. Father, for the Christian needing encouragement in their sin this week, may you encourage them that you are so forgiving and full of mercies. For the person struggling under the burden of trial, may they not measure your love by their trial, but by this Christ and this cross and this gospel that is yours. And we give you glory for it. And for each need, may Holy Spirit, you minister to us through the words you have given to us to tell us of Jesus, our Lord. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, one of the things that's been evident through Luke's gospel has been this call to follow Jesus. Um, Jesus has said on several different occasions, right? If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. And then uh, uh, in Luke chapter 14, actually, he says it again, but in a slightly different way. He says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, you can kind of try to put yourself in the world of the disciples when they're walking with Jesus. And they're, he's carrying out his ministry and they're kind of seeing what he's like. And, um, and he's talking about taking up a cross and, and following Jesus. And, you know, I have to think that that wasn't something that clicked really easily with them. But then notice that the first thing we see or hear is the picture of discipleship. Luke is a genius. Luke is a literary genius. And, of course, in God's providence, remember with Barabbas, you have this actual historical moment in God's providence to teach us that Jesus died in our place. Right? Remember that? Well, now you have this guy, Simon of Cyrene. And I want you to notice first this picture of the call to discipleship. And, right, they led him away and they seized one Simon of Cyrene who was, he was coming in from the country. Now, we have no idea what, what Simon was coming in from the countryside into Jerusalem for exactly. Maybe he was just there for uh, the Passover. Um, you know, maybe he was there for a family reunion. Uh, maybe he was there for his, you know fourth cousin's second niece's birthday party. And, um, you know, we don't know exactly what he is coming to Jerusalem for, but at this moment, at this moment, Jesus is bruised and battered, battered as the other Gospels would recount. He's been, he's been beaten by the Sanhedrin. He's been beaten by Rome. He's weary. He's weak. And here's this Simon of Cyrene, who the Roman soldiers say carry this crossbeam because normally a victim of crucifixion would carry the, uh, 
crossbeam themselves. <clears throat> and here's Simon of Cyrene who was coming in from the country. They laid on him the cross. But notice the phrase. They laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. This is an incredible moment. We don't know anything about this guy. But we know that in God's providence, it's exactly the picture. It's exactly the illustration in history of what Jesus had been saying. And if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me, Luke 9.27. Take up his cross daily and follow me. And I just want to encourage you with this reality, because I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I encourage you with this reality. The Christian life is the denial of self and carrying your cross being behind Jesus. That is the Christian life. It is the denial of self and carrying your cross beam behind Jesus and set aside, setting aside and laying down every selfish agenda. Everything that's about you and your life and your comfort and your security and everything that is about you in this world that all humanity has been committed to since the rebellion against God in the garden. It's setting aside all of that for the sake of following Jesus Christ. And Jesus has shown Himself one worthy to be followed for 23 chapters in this Gospel. And I just want to encourage you to take up your cross and follow Jesus. Now notice this. Jesus always says the most surprising stuff to me. He just says things that catch us off guard at weird times. It's because he's wise and because he actually has faith. You know, a person who has faith is going to say things to you that are surprising. That's just the way it works. A person who, who doesn't have faith is not going to tell you things that are surprising. A person who has faith is going to tell you things about God and yourself that are true, Right? A person who doesn't have faith is not going to do that. And so Jesus, with faith, knowing what's to come, gives this surprising warning in this moment where He's been beaten, He's suffering greatly, He's humiliated, He can't even carry His own crossbeam, He can't even hardly walk to the place where He will be crucified. And what's happening is, kind of in fulfillment of Zechariah 10.14, is there's there's following Him a great multitude of people, verse 27, of women who are mourning and lamenting for Him. Now, we don't know that these are necessarily all women who were disciples of His, or if this is just part of the crowd uh, who is mourning the reality of here's an innocent man who's just being bloody and beaten and the whole site is just worthy of lament and pity or if they're professional mourners, you know. We don't entirely know. My guess is there's a mix probably of all three in this crowd and uh, they're lamenting how he's being treated and that he's going to the cross and that he's going to die. And they're weeping over this and Jesus in this very moment turns to them and speaks And it's amazing to me that He even speaks. But He turns to them and speaks. And what He says, He says in prophetic, surprising warning, again, but turning to them, Jesus said, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for Me, 
but for yourselves and for your children. Look in Zechariah chapter 12, and I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one who mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. And here again, in God's beautiful providence is this moment where all of these mourners are the fulfillment of exactly what's going to happen with the Christ. They will look on Him whom they have pierced and they will mourn. But Jesus says to them, for behold, the days are coming when they will say, blessed are the barren. Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Think about that for a second. Where in Scripture do you see blessing for barrenness? Where in Scripture do you see blessing for childlessness? Where in Scripture do you see blessing for fruitlessness? The whole story of Scripture is the blessing of fruitfulness. Over and over and over, the blessing of children. And here Jesus says it's more of a blessing to not have them. What is He talking about? Well, what He's talking about is what we've studied before in Luke chapter 21. What He's saying, what He's saying is... You are the generation who has not recognized God the Son, Jesus Christ, promised from the beginning to be the Savior for sinners. To be the one who would make people right with God. Who the one that would extend forgiveness. The one to whom we owe all allegiance and worship and all devotion. The one worthy of all glory and honor. You are the generation that is crucifying me. And you will be judged for it. And it's not long after this, right? In A.D. 70 where Israel, Jerusalem, the people of God, God had made them His precious nation to display Himself to the whole world. And it's not long before in A.D. 70 when Jerusalem is completely sacked completely judged, and the conditions were terrible. And I've told you before that Josephus recounts that women were actually so hungry because they were surrounded by the Roman armies. You can go read about this historically if you want. But they were surrounded by the Roman armies, starved out, and women were actually eating their children for food. It's horrific. And Jesus is, Jesus is telling him, Weep for yourselves because judgment is coming upon you because upon this generation falls the greatest wickedness. The crucifixion of the Lord of glory. So bad they will beg for mountains to fall on them and hills to cover them. So awful will it be that they will wish for death rather than life in the judgment of God. Jesus proves the point. 
the basis for if they do these things, verse 31, if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? What Jesus is saying here is if God sends His Son into suffering, the God of life sends His Son into the suffering of death. What will be your suffering when He is gone? When these things, when the wood is green, they do these things when I'm here. What will God do once I'm gone? That's what He's saying. Now notice the humiliation of Jesus, the innocent one, condemned to die with criminals. Two others with him were criminals, were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Just everything we know about Jesus, he is the most generous, most charitable, most merciful, the most good, the standard of all goodness by which everything else should be judged and everything you read about him. And look at his ill treatment. The innocent one is crucified with criminals. He is dying the death of a criminal. He is dying as if he is a lawbreaker with them. Condemned to a criminal's death. Six hours of pain and suffering and suffocation on that cross because when the cross beam is connected to the post and he is hung there by his hands and feet in an agony for six hours with criminals next to him as if he were guilty. The righteous for the unrighteous. And look at his humiliation. And the abuse. And look at what Jesus says. Look at what Jesus says. Look what Jesus prays towards those who are abusing him and those who are crucifying him in the crowd. Look what Jesus prays. And Jesus said, Father. Right? Jesus is communicating with God the Father. He is God the Son. The Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It's really important to know that right here. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He 
you see Jesus, God of all creation, nothing was made that wasn't made through him, whether visible or invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Here, subjecting himself to man's abuse and rejection and punishment and suffering. You see, even still, in Jesus, his compassion over all that he has made. Do you see here his love for all humanity? Do you see his desire that none should perish and that all would come to repentance? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Now think about yourself. How easy it is for you to just get like nudged. And now your cross. Picked up a British word apparently this week. That's what happens when you talk to people in London frequently. You just get nudged. And it makes you cross. And here's Jesus being subjected to the greatest wickedness in the history of humanity. The killing of God the Son. The killing of the second person of the Trinity. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Don't you just love His heart for people? Don't you just love that God looking at the world and seeing all of its wickedness and all of its rebellion. The God who is displayed in the heavens declaring His glory constantly. The God who is witnessing to His very existence in your conscience constantly. The God who is evidenced by you seeking to live a life that is moral even without acknowledging Him. Who rules over the whole earth and seeing man go his own way for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. And Jesus now being subjected to that wickedness Himself in the greatest display of wickedness ever done to anyone ever. And Jesus says, Father, Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Vast, unmeasured, boundless, free. This is the one who, in eternity past, before his incarnation into the world to save the world, Receive the worship of angels in the throne room of God. Now subjects himself to the mockeries of men. The one who made all life and breath and in him everything lives and moves and has its being subjects himself to death and here is going to breathe his last. The righteous subjecting himself to the unrighteous for you, 
Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What does he mean? They know not what they do. We don't entirely know exactly who everybody Jesus is speaking of here, but there's certainly some sense in which it's everyone. But there is a distinction here. You know, the people and the crowd are blinded by blind guides, the spiritual overseers of Israel, the Sanhedrin, the scribes, etc., That's actually what it says here in the text, right? The people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him. And there's a distinction, certainly, between the rulers and the people. The people, you know, it's like in our day. It would just, it's similar to in our day. You know, everyone is like sheep without a shepherd. Because everywhere the shepherds forsake the sheep, neglect the sheep, harm the sheep, persecute the sheep. Everywhere. And when Christians are under that, they're like sheep without a shepherd, and all things are kind of messed up in their life, all kinds of things. And there's an ignorance that exists in the sheep that is culpable but less culpable because they're sins of ignorance, and they're also held in blindness by those who are supposed to serve them and love them and help them and give their life for them. And then the shepherds are held to a different standard because their sins are sins of greater knowledge and light against light. And so when Jesus says they know not what they do, the essence of it is they did not know that they were crucifying the Messiah. They did not know that they were crucifying the Lord of glory. And so even Jesus in sympathy here, in sympathy here, says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Because if they knew he was the Messiah, they would not have crucified him. This is what the Apostle Paul says later in the book of Acts. If, you know, if they knew, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. And so even Jesus is sympathetic to their ignorance. It's really fascinating. He's sympathetic to their ignorance. And you know how cold you are, you know? We are like, we tend to be like prosecuting lawyers. We tend to be like prosecuting lawyers towards people. You know? It doesn't really matter how cold we are. We just got to get, you know, we just got to get across how nasty you are or something like that. And Jesus, in the middle of that, says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He's sympathetic that some of this is sins of ignorance, which are less culpable than sins of knowledge, though they're still culpable. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. You know, maybe you're here this morning and this is the first time you've ever heard anything about this Jesus, and so you don't know and haven't seen clearly in your heart and life that you're living in rebellion against God. 
that your life is about you and your thoughts and your lofty opinions about yourself and the world you live in, but it's in Scripture where we see the nature of who God is and what this world is and who we are and that He is a holy God and we are sinners. You know you're a sinner. You know that what you do in secret, you don't want to confess to anyone. You know you're a sinner. You also know that you are guilty and that God will judge you for those sins. And so what you try to do is say he doesn't exist and I don't believe and I don't, you know, because you are, your conscience is condemning you about these things in your life and you try to press it all down, press all the knowledge of God down that surrounds you everywhere to escape from your sins. But let me tell you, there's a far better escape. It's Jesus who says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And you come to Jesus and you receive His forgiveness for them. And Jesus forgives you when you come to Him of everything. And I want you to come to Him. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide His garments. That's in fulfillment of Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But it's spoken of in Psalm twenty-two, eighteen. They cast lots to divide his garments. And I would encourage you, if you need somewhere to go in Scripture for the next week, just go sit in Psalm 22 every day for the next week and think about Christ and how beautiful what was said about exactly what would happen of Jesus hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus makes that cry on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God. If he's the long-promised Messiah who would come into the world, if he's the Christ of God, his chosen one, but you have to understand the reason he can't save himself is because he is the Christ of God. The Messiah's goal was not to come into the world to save the world without giving up His life. The Messiah was to come into the world and suffer and die and in three days be raised. That's what the whole Old Testament teaches about Jesus. The soldiers mocked Him, coming up and offering Him sour wine. We saw that in Psalm 69 last week. The sour wine is not a relief, it's an insult. It's a mockery on the cross. When your life is sour, do you want to run to sour food? No, you want sweet. But they offer Him sour wine. Completely unsatisfying. Embittering His bitterness. Saying, If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. But it's precisely that he is the king of the Jews that he cannot save himself because he's a king who dies for his people. Remember a couple weeks ago I said he's a king for the people. He's a king for the people. He is the king of and that satisfies every longing heart of a king who dies for his people. He is the one who will stand at the gate and admit entrance into eternal life. He is the one who rules a dominion full of His people. And there will be none if this king doesn't die for them. 
there was also an inscription over him, this is the king of the Jews. They prophesied and spoke way better than they knew. Because he's the king of the Jews, but he's a suffering king. And long had history prophesied of the king who must suffer. Now notice something, because I think you see the story of the world summarized in verses 39 through 43. You see two criminals, right? Jesus has a criminal on each side. This is why you wouldn't see pictures of the cross, right? You see pictures of three crosses, because there's the criminal who is crucified on each side of Jesus. And there's two groups of people in the world. Let me tell you what humanity wants the two groups of people to be, and then what Scripture teaches the two groups of people are in this passage. In this world, there are two groups of people. But what we want to be the two groups of people are this. There are criminal and not criminal. We want on the one side there to be criminals because we do see evil in the world and we all have a standard, you know, even if our standard's so bad that we can't see evil until we see Hitler. But we have a standard. Everyone has a standard where they're going to draw the line about Someone is on this side, and they're criminal. And over here on this side is everyone else who's not as bad as that group, and maybe we're not innocent, but we're not criminal. And that kind of thinking just flies completely in the face of the nature of Christ's cross here. Because here you see uh, Jesus dividing the world into two groups. Jesus is dividing the world into two groups. And both groups are criminals. Both groups are criminals. No one in all of humanity can escape that before the law of God, their rebellion against Him, even if it's just their denial of Him, their rebellion against Him is criminal. You are guilty of violating the law of God, the one who made you and the one who made all of us to live in submission to Him in His world. Both groups are criminal. Okay? Then what's the difference between the two groups? One of the criminals, verse 39, who were hanged, railed at Him, saying... Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. You know, the one who thinks all of this stuff about Jesus is crazy and the one who uh, right, just once just comes to the place where God is just their utility. Where God is just a useful idiot to them. Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Hey, why don't you break us out of this joint? If you are who you say you are. Right? Because this is, this is the whole world, right? It's like, if there's a God in heaven, why is there evil in the world? And God's always to blame for it. Because if there was God, He'd just fix everything. You realize if He fixed everything, He'd be judging you right now. But He's being patient with you. He's being merciful to you. He's giving you every opportunity here of who He is and of the good news of Jesus and of the opportunity for your salvation and forgiveness. There's two groups. They're both criminal. 
One is on this side, railing against Jesus, and when they want Jesus, they just want Him to do what they want Him to do. That's one group. Get us down from the cross. Get me what I want. There's a Jesus I'd have. Yeah, it's like that. There's another group. Save yourself and us. Call this group the unrepentant criminal. The unrepentant criminal. Those who refuse to turn from their wicked ways. There's no repentance in this criminal. There's no, there's no repentance for his crimes. There's no repentance for him trying to make use of God the Son for selfish ends. He's the unrepentant criminal. But the other rebuked him. Then you have this one over here rebuking that one. The repentant criminal rebuking the unrepentant criminal. What does this one know? What does this one come to know about Jesus as he has watched this whole thing, this whole suffering of our Lord? What does he know? But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, you're going to die and stand before God. Do you not fear God? You're under the sentence of death right now. And we, we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. We are receiving the sentence of death for being criminals. Which is what Scripture teaches of all humanity. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And our sin has a penalty for the wages of sin is death. This is why the world dies. Because man sinned. And we, who are in this repentant category, would say, that's justly what we deserve. And we indeed justly. But we would also look at Jesus and we would see, but this man has done nothing wrong. Jesus is the one who has not only not sinned, but lived a perfectly righteous life. This man's done nothing wrong. And he said to Jesus now, this side over here, this repentant criminal who knows he's going to die and knows he's getting ready to stand before God. You will stand before God when you die. You will stand before Him. And this criminal knows that he is this close to it. You know, it's like, oh, that we would live the life that knew that we were this close to it all the time. But this criminal knows there's no escape from this cross that he's on. And it's so imminent. And he turns to Jesus and he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He calls on Jesus. And what he's doing is he's calling on Jesus to save him. He's calling on Jesus to be merciful to him. And for Jesus to forgive him. Because this criminal heard Jesus say, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And he hears that and he thinks, who would say that? Who would say that? And he wonders if it can be true of him too. And now he knows and he calls on Jesus and he says, forgive me and remember me in your kingdom. Save me. And he said to him, Jesus responds, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. 
And he gives to him the promise of eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but this free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I want you to know that eternal life is held out to you as the free gift of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And you receive this grace when you trust in Christ to pay for your sins for you so that God's justice is satisfied against you. It's satisfied because Jesus satisfies it. So eternal life can be yours. So that the grace of God and the mercy of God and the reconciliation with God can be yours. It was now about the sixth hour and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour while the sun's light failed. Why the darkness? Because this is the moment where the wrath of God was poured out upon Jesus. This is the moment where Jesus endures the punishment for your sins. Darkness. When the curtain of the temple was torn in two. The point of this is in the temple, there's a curtain that keeps people separated from access, direct access to God. And uh, now this curtain, you know, this is historical reality here what happened in the nature of the temple, this giant, I mean, huge, huge curtain that kept people from access to God, you know, except for the priest on the Day of Atonement, right? One day a year could go in to the access to God in the temple where God dwelt with his people, Israel. And that is just ripped in two. Like, this actually happened. This giant curtain is ripped in two signaling that all the criminals of the world would have access to God if they would come, like this criminal, the the repentant criminal. And Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. And what happens when he breathes his last? He dies And yet there's this centurion who is a part of crucifying Jesus standing by right there. And he sees the way Jesus dies. In Mark's gospel, he says, you know, surely this man is the son of God. Here he recognizes that this is a man who died an innocent man's death. This is one who, this man did not deserve to die. And in that confession, because we all deserve to die for our sins, in that confession, he's recognizing this is the Son of God. Who else could be acknowledged with this level of innocence? Right? That's what he's saying. He's saying in verse 47, Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And so that centurion, in this very moment, receives the forgiveness that Jesus prayed for. This may be the very first person other than the the criminal. The very first person, the criminal and this centurion, the very first fruit of Jesus' prayer, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. And God saved this man right in this moment. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle when, they, spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home, beating their breasts, and all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. Now, 
You've got to come to Jesus. You have to look at Scripture and see what it says about Jesus. And if you would be saved and made right with God and have the guilt that plagues your conscience for your sins washed away by the blood of Jesus on this cross who died for you in your place, you have to come to Jesus. And you have to come seeking His mercy that there would, if there would be any hope of you being with Him in His kingdom, if there would be any hope of you receiving the free gift of eternal life to be with Jesus forever, not under the condemnation of judgment as, the, as will go all the earth, all of the unrepentant criminals will face the judgment of God and they will die in their sins and the judgment will be worse than what Jesus tells the daughters of Jerusalem because the judgment... Think about the wrath of God being stored up since the beginning of the world will be poured out on the whole world when Jesus comes back to conquer and to judge and to change world history as we know it forever. You have to see that you're over there and you have to want to be over here and the difference is calling on the mercy of Jesus to receive you into His kingdom and to forgive you of your sins. And you take up your cross and you follow Him all the days of your life because you know He died for you and He loved you and He saved you. You have to come to Jesus. And why would you not come to Jesus? What good reason? What good reason could you have for not coming to Jesus except a stubborn, selfish, self-willed, hard heart? You must repent. And you must believe this good news of the forgiveness of a Savior. That's what we want for you. Everything about Jesus on this cross is good news for everyone who, like the one criminal, repents. That's what we want for you. Because you could leave today just like this criminal. You believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You turn from your sin. You prepare to give your life for Jesus because He died for you. You come to Jesus. You believe. I deserve that cross. He did it for me. I deserve death. He died in my place. You come to Jesus. It's good news. It's good news. We want you to know the good news. We want you to repent and believe the good news. That's what Jesus preached. Repent and believe the good news. Your Savior has come and your Savior has completed His work. Stand with me for prayer, would you? Father, we pray especially for anyone here who doesn't know Your forgiveness, that You would convict them of their sin and of Your righteousness and of coming judgment. And you would cast them at the feet of Jesus, your dear son. Thank you, Jesus, that you went to this cross. Thank you that you died there in our place. Thank you that you said to this criminal, 
today you will be with me in paradise. And thank you that there's hope for every sinner in this room. That they can leave knowing that today they would be with you in paradise if only they would repent and cast themselves at the feet of Jesus. Thank you for the abundant life you would give them and the freedom you would give them and the cleansing of the conscience you would give them and of the righteous life you would begin to cultivate in them by your spirit. Thank you, Father, that is your heart to rejoice with all the angels when one sinner comes to repentance. And so we pray that one sinner would come to repentance. Father, we do pray for your sheep, your precious sheep who know that you died for them. May they be encouraged by good news again. May they enjoy that by your grace they are found amongst the repentant criminals. And they're no longer criminals. They are sons and daughters adopted into your family. And as they see their sins this week, Father, we pray that they would look upon Christ and see that justice is satisfied for them and they have received your grace and grace upon grace and immeasurable riches of your loving kindness. Thank you, Jesus. I pray for us as we're around our families this week that we would have the spirit of Jesus within us. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. That we would have your heart for the salvation of those around us regardless of how difficult they are and how harshly or neglectful they treat us. And we still have this heart. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Thank you, Jesus.